Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. Amen. Come on. Be reminded of the promises. I love it. So uh, that's my team. Uh, we'll, we'll love to pray for you guys after the service. Um, Jesus, I have a lot to unpack. Again, it's Christmas time. So, uh, you know, just uh, I pray that your spirit just goes deep this morning. And, uh, you know, it's good to stir yourself up, especially before you go to church, but I'd recommend doing that every day of your life. As Paul says, stir yourself up in the faith, strengthen your inner man. That's why speaking in tongues is so important in our secret place, is it begins to strengthen your inner man. And this last season for me has been uh, an incredible strengthening season, where the last uh, almost two years, I'm, uh, I'm like... 11 months, uh, 10, uh, a year and 10 months in of, uh, of doing these crazy prayer deals where uh, I've been praying, and I know all of you guys have gotten communion cups, don't take that quite yet, but we're going to take communion at the end of the service, and uh, we've, been, we've done over 60 prayer assignments in the last, you know, we've gone almost, four, I mean, we've gone almost 1,500 miles in prayer. So we've been praying over California, we've been praying over Arizona, we've been praying in the Maldives, we've been praying in Texas, we've been in Hawaii, um, you know, somebody's got to go there. So actually took a pretty big hit in Hawaii. I, uh, not many Americans could say they were rejected by their own country, but uh, I was actually rejected by Hawaii. I came there December 2020, actually on my birthday. And uh, they said they didn't recognize the lab that I um, got tested at to get my COVID test. And they sent me back on my birthday to speak at a leadership, you know, summit thing. And uh, so, yeah. So anyways, you know, I, that's one of my places I'm called to. But it's been an amazing time of, uh, you know, there's something that happens when you go and prayer paddle. So I've, I've paddled probably a good... 600, 700 miles, um, probably a little more than that. We've also biked. We've also walked. And, uh, and it's been an incredible time. But when you're doing this, it's six hours. Six hours. I don't know if anyone's paddled on stand-up paddle boards before, but has anyone gone six hours before on a, per, on a, on a stand-up paddle board? Has anyone gone an hour? Okay, good. We have a couple people that have gone an hour. So it's pretty amazing when you're paddling, and you're just going, you're like, Jesus, we just pray for your blood to cover this land. Like, you're doing that for six hours. It's pretty amazing that, you know, it's very much Luke 10, 27 worship experience where Jesus is saying, love your Lord God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. How do you know when you love God, when you go into a worship service where you worship him with all your strength? How do you know you did that? You don't have any more strength. <laughs> You're cramping. 
You're, you know, th- there's been a lot of those prayer times where it's like, oh, man, my hip just cramped, and my, my calf cramped, like, you know, but it's a worship service, and it's so amazing to engage and be connected to my spirit, soul, and body as I connect to the Spirit of God praying over the land. It's a really amazing, uh, I would recommend having worship services like that, whether it's going to hike up a mountain or, you know, whatever it may be. Walk around your neighborhood. You know, some people think, you know, they, they see me and they're like, oh, well, Chad's just a little crazy. I'm not supposed to do what, you know, no one's supposed to, like, do what I'm supposed to do. Do what you're called to do. Take the land. But enter the worship service where you're giving God your heart, your mind, and your strength. I mean, this is what David did. You know, he danced before the Lord. I'll become even more indignified than this. And so it's been a, a really cool deal of um, horizontal and vertical intercession. And I was with you guys last December. We did, you know, a little mini school of prayer. And uh, I was able to share some testimonies. And I want to just share a couple testimonies and even add where I, I believe I shared about San Francisco, where we did the Golden Gate Bridge and the Lord woke me up uh, the week before and said, this is Ezekiel training. Read the whole book of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel 37 was highlighted, and, and uh, we went and did communion at the Golden Gate Bridge. We lost our drone. I remember sharing this last year, but what's a cool update, you know, because we had, uh, there was a church that we were speaking at in San Francisco, and the pastor contacted me on Wednesday to say, hey, one of our kids in high school uh, jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and committed suicide. It was the two-year anniversary of his older brother committing suicide, and I look it up, and there's over 10,000 people that have committed suicide at the Golden Gate Bridge, and I've already shared this before, but it actually, I get to add on because now it's a year later, and there's been, and you know, what I love and I find very intriguing is uh, prayer to a lot of people is very vague. They don't know how it's scalable. They can't put their hands around it. And a lot of people are disconnected in their prayer life because they don't, they don't feel like they have a good roadmap or articulation or training or equipping on what is prayer. That's what I have found in the church as I've been trying to, you know, help the church discover prayer. And, uh, and so anyways, uh, this is a pretty cool testimony of watching the scalability of prayer, seeing the fruit of prayer, watching God, you know, show up as you co-labor with him. And so, uh, so we went there. I had an open vision while we were taking communion that, you know, obviously when you have that many people that have committed suicide, there is a territorial spirit that's wooing people that are dealing with depression and suicidal thoughts. This is where you come geographically to end your life. And so I was like, game on, and had the whole John 10, 10, like, encounter that, you know, that Jesus said, hey, I, I gave my life so that you could find it and have life more abundantly. And I, I knew that there was the valley of dry bones. Here we are in the valley. The valley of dry bones that Ezekiel needed to see what the father saw, that he saw an army. He didn't see dry bones. He didn't see just bones in the wasteland. He saw an army. And then I suddenly saw people walking the Golden Gate Bridge that were there to end their life, and then they find Jesus. And that the Americans, we see someone addicted to heroin or fentanyl. That's a dead man walking. Oh, that lady, she, you know, attempted suicide. Well, she's a dead woman walking. That it's, and I saw that, um, that that's Ezekiel's army. 
And I started prophesying that those that were dealing, you know, with suicide, with drug addiction, that God's going to release an anointing that breaks, you know, the yoke of the enemy. And that that's going to be the, the next generation uh, revivalist for the Jesus movement that's coming. And so I started prophesying that. And then the Sunday morning, we, uh, um, we're ending, we're doing, you know, prayer and praying for people. And this one teenager, I'm praying for him. I get words of knowledge. Uh, I, I saw him as a nine-year-old that he was, uh, something was happened with abandonment or rejection by his dad. And he starts crying and wailing. And he, and he says, yeah, when I was nine years old, my dad was deported by ICE. So I see the father hugging him, holding him. He's crying. The father's ministering to him. And I'm like, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your best friend? Does he live in, in your heart? And he says, no, I don't know Jesus. And I'm like, well, what's your name? Oh, my name's Ezekiel. So, I mean, I shared the story. I think in the school of prayer, maybe I didn't share it on a Sunday morning. But uh, I'm just giving you a very quick synopsis of the story because I want to tell you the how it's been going. So Ezekiel since then has been, you know, like the pastor will text me and be like, hey, Ezekiel just got baptized today. Ezekiel just went through our leadership program. You have to understand, Ezekiel is 14 years old. He was riding his bike across the street on a Sunday morning. His mom was at work, and so he's just riding his bike around, and an usher goes, hey, we've got free donuts. We've got a band playing, and so he just was there, like, you know, to get some food and to hear some music, and then he hears me speak, and then, you know, I tell him, hey, something happened at nine years old, this place of abandonment, the father's healing that, and then he's getting saved, find out, you know, it's really good when you're on an Ezekiel prayer assignment that Ezekiel gets saved, and he gets set free, and then I found out from the pastor, like, later on in October, during the Bethel Young Saints, hey, Ezekiel's in Reading. I went to go pray for him, and uh, he got healed. He had a back injury, and uh, so it's really cool that Ezekiel gets saved, set free, and, and healed. And so February of this year, we did a prayer assignment where we started bike riding, and we biked El Camino Real, which is the King's Highway. The Francescan monks established in California like 700 miles of this road where they established 21 missions. And so it's the road that leads to the 21 missions. So anyways, it's our first prayer assignment uh, um, of biking. I've never, you know, biked. Actually broke my clavicle uh, biking, training for a, a, a triathlon, and uh, had to have surgery. Never wanted to bike again. And then God's like, hey, I want you to bike. And I love it because, like, you know, getting in the water is my sweet spot. But, you know, you can't just have your default sweet spots. You know, God wants you to take risk. He wants you to take territory. That we have to understand that his kingdom is always advancing. Wherever your feet tread, he gives you that land as your inheritance. So his kingdom is always advancing. So we're always taking ground with the Lord. And so, you know, I, I biked over the Golden Gate Bridge and biking through El Camino Real, and I see that there's these beams shooting out from the Golden Gate Bridge, and I see a cop walking his beat, and I say, excuse me, officer, I see these beams. I was here in August, and there were no beams here. What, what, what's happening? What's going on? And they're like, oh, well, the city in October voted, uh, came up with a solution for the whole suicide issue, 
And we have put these beams out, and we're about ready to get nets that are censored nets. So when someone jumps off the bridge, they fall in the net, and it alerts the first responders. It alerts the authorities, and it takes, like, the average person seven, eight minutes to get out of the net. So it's enough time to get to them. And here we are in August of 21 prophesying that this would be a John 10.10 bridge, that that, you know, principality would be displaced, but that you would lose the Father's love, that you would lose John 10.10, that people would find their life. I love that. I don't know if, if, if I hope that uh, encourages you because it really encouraged me. Prayer is scalable. Jesus. It's been amazing to, you know, do these prayer assignments and then go and, and do evangelism. And it's this connection where, uh, you know, we've, we've been going to a lot of drug and alcohol treatment centers. And uh, we went and took a bunch of a team from Bethel and the whole treatment center ends up getting saved. It was right after like a prayer paddle. And I'm like, man, I love how God is breaking the compartmentalization of, oh, this is evangelism, this is prayer. He's bringing them together. They're way more connected than we realize. And I remember showing up at another treatment center. I walk into the foyer, and this guy goes, oh, I've been waiting for you, Chad. Like, he knew my name, and I'm like, I've never been to this treatment center, I've, you know, never before. And he's like, oh, you ministered to me, like, eight months ago at this treatment center. And I'm like, no, I've never been here. And we go back and forth, like, three or four times, and, and then after a while, I'm like, wow, I don't know if my angel was here or what, but I'm not going to argue with him anymore. I'm like, hey, well, then what do you need? And, and he goes, um, well, I got heroin uh, for me and my fiancé. She shot up. I went to the bathroom. I came back, and she was dead. And he goes, I killed my fiancé. And then I hear the Lord say he's dealing with self-hatred. He needs to forgive himself. There's a spirit of suicide all over him. And I start telling him, telling him this. He lifts down his sweatshirt sleeves to have all these bandages that I couldn't see. And he says, I just attempted suicide yesterday. That's why I'm in the treatment center. And so I start praying for him. He starts screaming and gets set free and, like, delivered. But there's this other group of, like, three or four people that are kind of, like, snickering and kind of watching and all this stuff. But I look over there, and I see a Ouija board waving, like, like you know, hovering over their heads. And I'm like, hey, one of you is messing around with the Ouija board, and you have a spirit that tries to strangle you in the middle of the night. Who is that? And this guy goes, oh, it's me. I have a Ouija board, and I get strangled, and I'm like, well, where is the Ouija board? Oh, it's under my bed. Well, then go get it. We burned that thing in the dumpster, and then we, you know, did some deliverance, and then we ended up leading them to the Lord and then baptizing them in the community pool. It's just good times. You know, and I've been doing this deep dive in intercession and realizing, wow, so many intercessors have been going into a combat zone that they go into the second heaven that, you know, that we have somebody get back. You know, we're no longer in Iraq or, or in Afghanistan, thank the Lord, but we were in war for a long time, almost 20 years. 
And when somebody comes back from a tour of duty, we probably are like, ooh, they might have some PTSD. And then, you know, I like, was just kind of spending time with the Lord, and the Lord's like, do you realize that there's so many intercessors that have done like 20 years, they've done 20 tours, and they're going into the second heaven, and they are dealing with severe spiritual PTSD. Because they don't know how to operate, that they live, they abide in the third heaven. It's good to go visit the second heaven, but you need to know that you're a citizen of heaven. Oh, Jesus, maybe, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to preach on then. Okay, I'm going to preach on that. Because identity is so key, whether it be with prayer, intercession, just in the kingdom, identity is key. Jesus. Identity. You know, it's very interesting. Those that are doers and those that are beers, they, the common denominator is they all do. But it's all about your motive and where you're, like, originating from. That you are being, you're operating from a place of being that I am a son, that I am a daughter, that I am a friend of God. And so I'm operating from that place of being, and then I begin to do. But those that do that, okay, I'm doing, I'm going to be more in the prophetic ministry. I'm going to, you know, heal the sick all the more so that, so that the Father accepts me, so that I could get some notches of notoriety. Jesus. But it's very intriguing that both parties do. Oh, yes, let's do this. It's so important that we understand that as a son or daughter, we operate from a place that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. This is Ephesians 2. Like verse 9. You're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Let's just look at John 17. Because I just want to kill the deal of powerlessness, escapism. Okay, everything starts when I get up to heaven. Well, when you ask Jesus to come into your life, you're in heaven. That is the reality. Oh, Jesus. Just that you got to, like, stop saying the things, well, I'm only human. That's humanistic thinking. Christ lives inside of you. You've been crucified and you've been resurrected with Christ. That, yeah, you might make mistakes. You might, you know, sin, but you're not a sinner. It's not your nature to sin. And the enemy so wants you to agree that you would, you know, understand, oh, that's the voice of the enemy. That's not, and, you know, it's very interesting that the enemy doesn't go, hey, this is the enemy. This is, this is Satan. This is one of the demons. 
and I really want you to agree with me. No, it's not that Captain Obvious. A lot of times, it's like your own voice. But you've got to check in with the Holy Spirit of, wait, this isn't my nature anymore. My nature isn't to steal candy bars. I'm a saint. I'm a son. Oh, Jesus. I mean, the reason why Jesus died on the cross is because we all, for, we all fell short of what? The glory. So Jesus became the bridge so that we could come into the glory of the Lord sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. The whole goal was that we would be one from the original design of the garden, that we'd be one with the Father. John 17. And I just want to hit, you are one with the Father. It doesn't happen the moment you die and you go into the pearly gates, the whole deal. You are one with the Father. This is what Jesus desired. John 17, verse 21. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. This was the whole reason. Jesus. Because some of you are giving me that look. <laughs> Do you guys realize that when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, and talking to him about earthly things, and if you don't understand earthly things, then how are you going to understand spiritual things? And so John 3, 13, he's... Let's just read it. This is actually the NSAB, which is the, the best version for this one. Uh, John 3, verse 13. And no one hath ascended into heaven, but he that descendeth out of heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. Did you catch that last part? Here I am, Nicodemus, talking to you in the physical, in the natural, down here in, you know, Israel, I'm the one that ascended and descended, and I'm also in heaven right now. <laughs> Jesus. Now he lives inside of you. So you've been seated in heavenly places. Let's just, let's just read Ephesians 2 so that you know, you know that this is scriptural. <laughs> Ephesians 2. I like it in the, the Passion Translation for this one. Lord, just wreck us. Let there be a spirit of revelation. Lord, let us know that this is, this is what we're called to, to be one with you. That's why you died on the cross, so that we could be one. She's getting it. Verse 6 of, of chapter 2 of Ephesians. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now, not when you die, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. That is the reality. 
Jesus. I mean, I just keep going in the scripture. You want me to just go for another one? Let's just go for another one. This is Hebrews 10, verse 10. And this is amazing because whoever wrote Hebrews is going into the whole deal of the old covenant and how priests would only, one priest would come, you know, once a year and they would go into the Holy of Holies and have a little bell and then if that bell stops jiggling, you know, like the guy's dead in the whole deal and they got to pull him out and the whole deal. So anyways, verse 10 of Hebrews 10, by this will we have seen sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Do you, do you, you get that? Yeah. You have confidence. You're sprinkled by his blood to go into the throne room of grace with boldness, another translation would say. By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus. I mean, I'm encouraged by reading these. And then you begin to live that place out and you know, Bob Jones really helped me in 2002 to understand that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And then I began to have experiences that would back up this reality. I remember I was going after God and L.A., and I was a teenager and 17, and I was going to all kinds of crazy charismatic meetings, and I, you know, it was 1998, and so it was kind of the height of the Toronto movement and, and, uh, and Brownsville, and so I would go to these meetings, and they would lay hands on you, and, you know, I never spoke in tongues, I never got slain in the spirit, and so they would pray for hours, and then that's when the intercessors or the deliverance team would come, and you would try to find the demon, you know, like, like there must be something there, and and uh, and and I just kept on just going after the Lord, just being like, man, I know that this is possible. And, you know, I was I was known as the Oak of Righteousness. 
You know, and you'd be like talking to your friends that went down and like, oh, did God touch you? And they're like, oh, no, I did a courtesy fall. Like I just went down with everybody else. And, and then that's really fun when you've got like the man of God like praying over, you know, and you're doing like a tug of war and you like feel like he's pushing you down and you're trying to stay up. And you're like, hey, I'm just trying to have an authentic encounter with God. And I'd always take an evaluation of like, okay, God, like, is there something from you that you're withholding? And then, you know, the Lord would solidify, no, I, I gave my son. Like, I want to encounter you way more than you want to encounter me. I've, I've set you up for success. I have, you know, done everything I can and, and, you know, to help you encounter me. Okay, Holy Spirit, is there anything that I need to ask for forgiveness for? Is there any, you know, bring your conviction. Like, is there anything I need to make right? Oh, I'm all good? Okay, now I'm just looking, like putting myself in the pathway of your presence. So I ended up moving to Pensacola, Florida from L.A. I took a Greyhound bus at 18 years old. I traveled by bus all alone to Pensacola, Florida. That was a lot of fun. And then I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in a red Jeep Cherokee on the way to Walmart with a couple of Germans and a Swiss. And about a week later, I was like, all right, I just got like, I, I, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was speaking in tongues. Well, you know, now I'm, I haven't gotten slain in the Spirit yet, so that's next on the list. And I'm in this little men's prayer meeting. No one's around me. And I'm like, God, I want to encounter you. Like, thank you for pouring out your Spirit. And, and then suddenly I have this, like, open vision of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when he is, you know, going through the end of, like, the little rites of passage, or not the rites of passage, all the little things that he's got to do. And he goes through this, like, you know, leap of faith thing where he's, he puts his, he closes his eyes and he just puts his foot forward and then he goes and he realized, whoa, it's a bridge. This is like translucent bridge. So I saw my spirit man actually do this. And the moment I did this like leap of faith, this place of trust, this place of, all right, Father, I'm going to unknown territory. Territory that I've never tasted or seen yet. And I suddenly felt like someone punched me in the stomach. I went flying, like, on the ground. I was shaking so hard that my shoes came off. I would shake from one end of the room to the other on the floor. Uh, my friends said I was like a fish out of water being electrocuted. But when this happened, I was on the ground shaking, and it was like all this reality became background noise. And then suddenly I see the Father in the throne room. Like, I see this like glory cloud, and then I see the father in the throne room, and he's like looking at me, and I'm like, I didn't know this was legal. I thought this was just for like Apostle Paul and, you know, John. And then the father like leans over, and he opens his mouth, and out comes waves of his presence, and it was this spirit of adoption, baptism of the Father's love, lasted 18 hours, and it was this incredible experience. But it was something that, you know, I've stewarded since that day. Like, I didn't even know that was legal. And that was the first time at 18 that I was like, whoa, I just went to heaven. And then Bob's like, well, you're a son. You know, like, you, you, that, you're a citizen of heaven. 
You need to become familiar with heaven. If you're called to be a citizen of heaven, if you're called to bring heaven down to earth, then become familiar with heaven. But even way bigger than this, that is the reality, but it's all about being one. That's communion. To be in that place of union, to be in that place of being one with the Father as Jesus modeled what it looked like to be one with the Father. But this is why we take communion. Like, you have to understand, when we take communion, and it's, it's this, we do this in remembrance of Jesus, and that it's this place of covenant, that we are saying yes to covenant with God. So in order to have covenant, you've got to have at least two parties agree. You have to have actions, and you have to have a yes from two parties. Sometimes we just, you know, do the communion, and we are reminded of what Jesus has done, but we also need to be reminded of, well, what are we supposed to do in this covenant? That we get to be, that we learn to, in this place of how do we become one with the Father? If that's what Jesus did, dying on the cross, so that we could go into the throne room of grace with boldness. Oh, Jesus, let's just take another angle at this. Because what does he say in John 17? He said like two or three times, so that the world will know. So here we are with evangelism, and you've got a lot of people, you know, arguing about hell, not a hell, universalism, annihilationism, all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's good. Like, we should have sound theology and awesome. I love it. But what I don't understand is why are we spending so much energy and time to articulate to people the outer courts and the wilderness, the boundary line of the outer courts and the wilderness? Jesus never said that that's the main thing of the gospel. Get out of hell free card. He died for your sins so that you could go up to heaven. No. That's like that he died so that you could become one with the Father. You could learn to live in the throne room of grace with boldness while you are living on the planet. If you can model to the world what it looks like to live in the holy of holies, I'm telling you that is the greatest wave of evangelism we'll ever see. Jesus, because that, be aware of your sins, and I don't, I don't know how many, you know, meetings I've been in, I used to, there, when I was 18, this one guy, preacher, he would come with a sickle and say, where are you going tonight, friend? If you die in a car accident, where are you going tonight? And it's like, the whole motivation is, oh, no, I, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to go to heaven and not hell. That is such an emotional trigger that's not sustainable. And it's not even what we are called to model of what is evangelism. Oh, wow. Let's, let's do this. Let them be one so that the world will know. But again, I almost want to just like hit it that that's not even the point. That's not the primary point. That is fruit from being communing with the king of glory. 
that like, yeah, totally, that's secondary, amazing, the overflow, but the primary deal that Jesus came and died on the cross is so that we could be one with our Father because sin entered the planet and we could no longer be one with the Father. Then Jesus was the greatest sacrifice and there's no longer need of any other sacrifice that we get sprinkled by his blood and then we learn to go into the throne room of grace with boldness. Understanding that there has been an invitation to be one with our dad. So Merry Christmas. <laughs> I've been going after, crack myself up sometimes. I've been going after this whole deal with communion where, you know, uh, the first prayer assignment, God's like, I want you to take communion every assignment, and I want you to pour a little bit of the blood onto, you know, onto the land or onto the water, asking me to come and heal the land. And so I've been doing this since, you know, February 21, and then in uh, the summer of 21, I was doing the Sacramento River, and and we, you know, poured some of the blood of Jesus, did a little video, sent it over to Lou Engle. Lou has been like a real spiritual father in this season. And if you don't know who Lou Engle is, he's like the prophet intercessor with the greatest abs of all ministry. And because uh, he just does this, you know. And, and I, remember, I remember being with him at TSA, you know, at an airport in Colorado. And, you know, we're waiting in the TSA line. And he's like, Chad. The Lord just spoke to me and told me to go on a 10-day fast to launch my 40-day fast. And I'm like, what? Who does that? Who does a 10-day fast to launch a 40-day fast? I'm like, Lou, you got it all wrong. Let's go to Las Vegas and just get a tent and we'll go to a buffet bar and we'll feast for 10 days before your 40-day fast. Let's do that. So that's Lou, and Lou's, Lou responds to this, you know, video I sent him of taking communion in the Sacramento River. And he goes, Chad, you realize you're doing my dream? And I'm like, well, you're like the prophet of dreams, so what dream are you talking about in particular? And he's like, well, I had a dream. You haven't heard the dream? I'm like, no, I haven't heard the dream. Well, when I was in Reading, like in the natural in 2019, I had a dream where I was walking on the Sundial Bridge with Bill Johnson, and I asked Bill, where do you catch fish in this river, the Sacramento River? Oh, well, where the river bends down the river, um, that's where everyone catches fish. So Lou walks down there, and he sees where the river bends, and suddenly he realizes the river turned from blue, the water turned from blue to red. And he saw thousands of people where the river bends. He saw thousands of people casting their lines, uh, and they were just bringing in fish. And then he heard the audible voice of God in his dreams say, out of Redding, Redding, there will come a communion revival that will open up the harvest. And I'm like, oh, well, this is what I've been doing. This, this is great. We're on track. And so I decided to go from the Sacramento, uh, from Redding, all the way to the bay, which is like 300 and some miles. And I have gone now from Reading all the way to the Sacramento airport, which is like 260 miles. 
And it's just been in this place of like digging that well of like, God, I want to see a revival of people coming into understanding of what it looks like to be in covenant with you where we become one. So Bill, you know, we, we, we had a, just we're grieving as a congregation at Bethel Church. We lost Benny Johnson and, uh, to cancer. And Bill had probably one of the most epic messages on grieving in a kingdom perspective four days after losing his wife. And he ends his message, which every preacher knows, you end your message with like the craziest point. The best point. And he says that Lou Engel came. And he met with Benny. And he asked for prayer for this communion revival. Well, I'm sitting there going, oh, wow, that was in July. Well, that May, uh, May 1st, me and Isaac and Eunice, you were, you were, no, you were not there. Isaac was there. And uh, me and Isaac and a crew of about, I think, nine of us, we paddled May 1st, the Sacramento River, and we took communion. And I had been waiting to do this section from the Sundial Bridge all the way to Bonnyview. I had not done it yet. And the Lord was like, no, 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 you know. And then he's like, boom, green light, May 1st. Well, May 5th, we have third-year graduation at Bethel. And I got three you know, students graduating, and then we were doing lunch. I'm flipping hamburgers for their families. I'm at, uh, we're at my wife and I's house, and, and then I suddenly just feel this impression, and I love it. Like, we're way more led by the Spirit than we realize. It's, it's sometimes we make this life with God too complicated, meaning that he lives inside of you. Begin to trust, like just like the enemy doesn't say, hey, this is Satan. Sometimes God doesn't go, hey, this is God, meaning that, that he will speak to me sometimes through my own voice, but I've been able to discern when he's speaking to me. Oh, Jesus, that's a good one. That's like a, that's a big one. And sometimes we minimize it. Sometimes we downplay it, and we're like, oh, no, that's just me being, you know, haven't slept or I'm making something up. No, God is leading you. I call it Forrest Gumping, my way with God. You're always like at the right place, the right time. And, and that's what I love is like your, your, your yieldness, your, your willingness to say yes, that's what's required of us is that we would be yielded to the Spirit of God, that we'd be connected to the Spirit of God, that my spirit would be connected to his spirit, and that I would begin to do things that I'm not, like, overthinking. And then I get to see the, the fruit and the aftermath, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was you this whole time? And as you do that over and over and over and over again, it begins to solidify, and you begin to discern, you begin to recognize, oh, that's not my voice, that's your voice, because we've done this, like, hundreds of times before. Because we're one. See, what's hard is to do this in a message because it's a lifestyle. So I would just encourage you that today you say yes to being one, and then you begin to live that kind of lifestyle. 
And you watch as it begins to grow when you have intentionality that, okay, how do I be one with the Father? Well, first, it's not super complicated. He's already done it. The blood of Jesus is sprinkled over you. And so you begin to say, well, I choose to go into the throne room of grace. Let me recognize, God. Let my senses be activated. Let me be aware. Oh, Jesus, I want to go hit this thing so much harder, but it's okay. I mean, really, when we understand this, it begins to unravel what it really looks like to pray without ceasing. I remember doing a question and answer time at a conference in Norway in 2006, and they asked, like, what's your prayer life like? Have you had times where you fasted? Times? So I was about ready to tell them, like, my journey, and the, and the Holy Spirit says, don't say anything about that. Tell them that you pray 24-7. And I'm like, God, you know my life. I do not pray 24-7. And he goes, no, 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 what is reality? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always with you, and your spirit is in connection with me. So it's about you recognizing my presence. We come to church, and it's built in to recognize his presence. But can we recognize his presence at the DMV? Can we recognize his presence when we're in a movie theater? Can we recognize his presence in all that we do? Because we're one. But he isn't like one with you so that you could be a servant. He isn't one with you so that you could do his bidding. Oh, I need you to be in my army. No, he, he, he likes you. This thing of oneship is friendship. Okay, let me go back into the, the, the timeline here. So May 5th, I text Lou where I'm like, man, I feel like I'm supposed to go with them somewhere in California. Like, like I literally text, like my crew has seen it. Like, Lou, hey, when, can you tell me when you're next time in California? I want to come and run with you, serve you in any way I can. And he goes, well, where are you in a couple hours? Where, where are you these days? And I'm like, well, I'm in Redding, flipping hamburgers. He goes, great. I fly in a couple hours. I'm called to do my dream. I'm here to go and, and do communion in the Sacramento River and then meet with Benny Johnson about communion. Meet me at the Sacramento River. So me and Isaac, we go to the Sacramento River. We have this amazing time where I'm just getting wrecked. And like Lou is there to release his dream. And then Bill's talking a couple, it rained when it wasn't forecasted to rain. We had a couple other things like that. But Bill's like, hey, we're going after communion revival. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I've been going after. But it's from this place that we would take communion to come into alignment, to come into recognition, to do this in remembrance of him, that he sacrificed so that we could be one with the Father as Jesus was one with the Father. Of course, it's for your spirit, your soul, your mind, your body to become a new creation. But the primary reason of Jesus' sacrifice is so that we could be one. We could be connected. We could learn to co-labor. And that's why it's so important learning this whole thing of intercession and to be an intercessor, sometimes what gets us off is this place of trust, Learning to co-labor, 
where, okay, I do the assignment with my dad and then I let it go. And that ability to let it go. All right, I trust you, Dad, to carry out the prayer assignment that we just co-labored in. Because we're one. Oh, Jesus, okay, we need to take communion. It's 12.04. So let's grab our communion. Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice. So go ahead and grab the body. You got to work for it. (laughs) So let's take communion this morning. But my prayer is that you'd be marked and that you would begin to understand why Jesus gave his life. So that we could be in relationship. Not when we die that you would know and recognize you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and that whole place of intercession and that whole place of understanding that you're rooted, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that you live from a place of victory. Psalms 2, he who sits in the heavens and laughs over the plans of the enemy. You live in a place of victory because of who's living inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, Lord, we thank you. Because of your sacrifice, we're made whole. Because of your body being broken. And, Lord, that, like we read in Hebrews, that your flesh is the veil. That you crashed, that you tore the veil, so that we get to come into the throne room of grace 24-7, that we don't need to choose just one person from our community. Okay, you're the guy to go into the Holy of Holies. Here's the bell set. No, you're sprinkled with his blood. So today, I just pray, Lord, as we just take your body, that we would be reminded of your sacrifice, that we would do this in remembrance of you, but also, Lord, that we would be reminded that it takes two parties to have covenant. It takes two parties to say yes to have covenant. So this morning, we say yes to being one with you. Just take the blood. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we are sprinkled. We are sprinkled with your blood, that it gives us access to live in the throne room, to live in the holy of holies, that you are the greatest sacrifice, and your sacrifice is sufficient. There is no need of any other sacrifice. 
But Lord, this brings us into right standing. This brings us into your glory. This brings us into fellowship, into connection. Lord, that you would teach us that there would be this place that we would become like students, that we would learn, we would recognize what does it look like to be one with you? What does it look like to be at your right hand, Dad, where you are never concerned, you're never intimidated, you're never, uh-oh, what does the enemy have up his sleeve today? But Lord, that we would be seated with the one that laughs over the plans of the enemy. And that we would learn to co-labor, that we would learn to partner with you from that position of victory because of your son giving his life so that we could be grafted into the bloodline of Jesus as our older brother. So, Lord, let that reality sink in and that we would begin to have experiences that begin to bring us understanding to the reality, that we would learn how to be, be sons and daughters. And from that place, we would serve. From that place, signs and wonders follow those that believe. But, Lord, that there would be no more striving, no more employee-employer relationship. Lord, that we would be sons and daughters that would come into maturity to a place of friendship. So, Lord, we thank you. Lord, let this be a worship service of gratitude and thanksgiving as we take communion this morning. Amen. Jesus, I don't know about you, but that fires me up. But uh, so let me just pray over you guys one last time. Lord, I pray that this reality would become solidified. Lord, there would be moments. You know, it's very intriguing how the gift of faith works because the gift of faith is an invitation that my measure of faith, my lifestyle of faith would come into a new place of faith as I enter in that gift. Meaning that it was a moment and it was an invitation that I get to steward for the rest of my life. It puts a demand that my lifestyle of faith begins to change, that, that when I see Jesus crash in and a headache gets healed, I have to look at headaches differently for the rest of my life. When I see someone healed of cancer, I have to look at cancer completely different for the rest of my life. And so I pray for moments of revelation, moments of experiences where you will know that you are one with the Father. And then that would begin to change your perspective of how you position yourself. Wreck us, God. Amen. Amen.